Welcome to the All In Gospel Bible Study. Each week, we move chapter by chapter through the Bible towards a comprehensive understanding of what the Bible teaches. All In Gospel is recorded live in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, featuring Dr. Sean Dickers. You can support this broadcast by subscribing or donating at anchor.fm slash allingospel or visit the allingospel.com website. So we're in the book of Numbers. We'll be in chapter 28 tonight. Uh, very quick context because I took a lot of time with context last week. Um, we're in the third part of Numbers. First part is preparing to, to journey with God. The second part is how they walk with God and then they backslide and then they get retrained and God keeps training them. And these last 10 chapters of the book are about getting ready to go into the promised land and getting that last piece of the journey taken care of. So the journey of about uh, 40 years just took a, a very short amount of time in, in this process. So uh, they've been going back and forth uh, through the wilderness in a lot of different ways. A lot like Israel is going through this training process, a lot like our hearts go through a training process. Um, and that's kind of how the New Testament keeps looking at this, is that these things are here to teach us how to live. So as Israel keeps failing and then succeeding, most Christians go through that process where they're trying to struggle and, and beat sin and they backslide and then they come back and they beat it and they keep going through that process. But the key is to never let go of God as you're doing that. Um, I like J. Vernon McGee's summary of the book of Numbers. Um, he's, he calls it the, 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 progress, the progress of a pilgrim or this is where pilgrims progress. Uh, maybe that's where he's thinking it came from. But he basically says Numbers is about walking, wandering, working, warring, witnessing, and worshiping. It's a handbook for pilgrims. Charts and compasses come from this book. And I hope your journey through Numbers has been like that as it has been for me, but it's been really interesting. So uh, these things are written for our learning and, and our example. So uh, in chapter 25, there was that new zeal that they had against sin. Chapter 26, they had new family leaders put in place. Chapter 27, they had these new young ladies of faith that rose up. So we have this new generation that's getting ready to go. And this new Israel, this new heart that they have is one of zeal, passion, and faith. And in that, the Lord's going to keep moving them through. In chapter 27, they're even going to get new leadership. So the new leader in Joshua has already been named uh, in the last chapter, but there's a couple months worth of work here for Moses before he actually dies and passes on. So Joshua's uh, been um, brought before the people. And so at this point, Israel has an entirely new makeup. Of this new generation has come along. The handoff of Moses the law has happened to, Jesus, to, to Joshua or Yeshua. So, and now they're going to start learning to walk under the leadership of Joshua. Um, so Numbers 28 verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food for my offerings, made by fire, sweet as, as a sweet aroma to me, you shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. So they're all set to go as a new people. And God once again comes back to this thing of here's what I want from you. And this is a big deal because we can be saved by the Lord. He can give us a new heart. But at the end of the day, how do I actually walk with the Lord? And what does it mean? What does God expect of me as a believer? And it's what did he expect of Israel? And, he's, and he makes it very succinct. It's all about food. The food here is not because God eats. We all know this, but I have to say it because some people will be like, are you saying God eats? Um, to break it down, it says that there's this appointed time that has to happen. The appointed time is kind of what God was talking about back in Leviticus. He wants you to live your life in a way that's appointed. And it's not appointed by necessarily God sets the appointment, but we have to choose to keep the appointment. Like if you have a date and only one person shows up, that's bad. So God has set these appointed times or these dates for us that we're supposed to make it to. And when we don't, it breaks his heart. And we can see that through some of the prophets as we get to those. The, the, this chapter is all about devotion. And that's what God asks of us. So when our hearts kind of been aligned and directed towards the Lord, we need to move towards this place where we give him our devotion. 
And this is after Moses is passed on the leadership. This isn't about the law. And that's again what the disciples started to preach was the good news, that there is a place in our life where we don't live under the law. We live under this grace that God's provided and done everything for us. It's amazing. So they're going to set this time. And the purpose here isn't necessarily legalism because the laws, the, the leadership's been passed off. The point here is that we keep the times because they're, they're ours to have. The my, my, my in verse two, everything that we have in our life is from God. And as he's saying this to Israel, they have been brought out of Egypt because of God. They've been fed manna because of God. They've gotten living water because of God. So they've been provided for totally. They would all be dead if it wasn't for God. Like us, we too would be dead in our sins if it wasn't for God and what he's done. So when God asks for things, he's asking for his own stuff. And I think that's an important kind of thing because this is going to be two chapters of what he wants from us. But he's asking to get the things that are his in the first place. And staying on this schedule, this idea of time being the only thing, this is kind of interesting. Remember, Abraham had to build his own altars and then do the sacrifice. Under the Mosaic system, the altar has already been built. All they got to do is bring the sacrifice. Under the Jesus system, even the, the altar has been built, the sacrifice has been provided. All we need to do is show up and do devotion. That's it. So at every stage in history, this progressive kind of appointment from God, he's done more and more and more until there's no excuse from humans if they don't live for God. Because he's, he's not even asking for sacrifices anymore. All he's asking for is your heart. That's it. And you think, what a, a deal that is. So to be careful, the Hebrew word there is shamar. That's a weak word in the English. In fact, I really don't like the translation that I have. You might have a different translation. It says, you shall be careful to offer me at their appointed time. That careful means to guard, keep, protect, or defend. So I could reread that sentence, I think, with a lot stronger word. You should be defending me at my appointed time. You should be protecting this appointed time. You should be guarding over this time of devotion that you set aside. It should, it's a much stronger word. The root there is to actually hedge something about with thorns. So if you don't have the money to pay for an electric fence, you can build a thorn bush around your house and it keeps the deer out, right? So they would put a hedge of protection around houses and gardens and things you want to keep safe. That's where this word comes from is it's, it's that idea of guarding something actively and to protect it, to draw a line, to carve something out in your life and make it God's. That's devotion is devoting something to God. There's no clause here for opting out. Verse two, that you shall do this. It's not, you can do this when it's convenient and you can do this when it's easy. You can do this when there isn't other stuff going on in your life and you, you're going to be missing things. You're supposed to carve this out, this devoted time. Make it happen, no excuses. There's nothing in this world that should come before God. And that's super convicting because if you're like me and you've skipped church once or twice in your life, that's something God doesn't give a clause for. You're supposed to actually do that. And it's not supposed, so it's supposed to be something you get out of anymore. And in the New Testament, they don't even have to go to the, 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 the tabernacle and the, temper, the, temp, the temple. They don't have to go to priests. They don't have to go to shrines. They have complete access to the throne through Jesus Christ. There's no excuse to skip these things. So let's get into what exactly he expects. Um, and you shall say to them, this is, my, this is the offering made by fire, which you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs in their first year without blemish, day by day as a burnt offering. Let me point out, I'm not going to get into all the meanings of this stuff in, in these two chapters. If you want, just put a note in your Bible that says Exodus 29. And you can go back in the podcast and listen to that chapter if you want to. And it talks all about what's going on here. There should be this day by day thing. Verse 4. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer in the evening. You're supposed to do devotions in the morning and do them in the evening. But we don't have to kill lambs anymore. Make sense? Easy enough, right? And one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour is a grain offering. Grain offering is for devotion. Offering mixed with one-fourth of hen pressed in oil. It's a regular burnt offering which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And its drink offering shall be one-fourth of a hen for each lamb. A drink offering is to pour something out, a lot like Jesus poured out his blood. It's to pour out yourself. So a burnt offering is atonement. A grain offering is devotion. A drink offering is to pour yourself out. You're supposed to pour yourself into a devoted life where you're having your sins atoned for, day by day, morning and evening. Where was I? 
verse 6. Regular burnt offering was ordained at Mount Sinai for a sweet aroma and offering made by fire to the Lord. And its drink offering shall be one-fourth of a hen for each lamb. In a holy place you shall pour out the drink offering as an offering. The other lamb you shall offer in the evening as, as the morning grain offering and its drink offering. You shall offer it as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Verse 3 says day by day. Every day is this first devotion that God asks for. Some sort of daily life of purity and atonement. Where you start your day off with the Lord, you end your day off with the Lord. And you don't even have to walk to the temple anymore. God says basically um, that these are the pieces he wants. Verse 2 has two lambs. There's the burnt offering in verse 4, the grain offering in verse 5, and verse 7 as the drink offering. In the sense that there's a burnt offering and you've atoned, or there's some sort of atonement for sin, it means you can start your day knowing that you're forgiven. And you don't have to walk through your day with shame. Because whatever happened yesterday or the day before, it's over. And this idea that every day should, there should be an atonement sacrifice, first of all, they, they, these are probably for entire families. So family devotions are perfectly appropriate. Otherwise, there would, there would be 20-year-olds wondering where they'd get all their sheep from, right? So these are probably family units doing this sacrifice together. The green offering is a devotional piece. So it's not necessarily something that is ours. We're just going to give it up to the Lord that's above and beyond the burnt offering. In doing that, you start your day realizing everything you have is from the Lord. So you start in a place of humility. So you start with forgiveness, you start with humility, and you start with this life or spirit of the drink offering. That's, that, those are the things you reflect on as you start your day. It's interesting when we think of this kind of peace, and one way to look at it is this is a lot for God to ask of people. This is way too much. Another way to look at it is this is all God asks of people. You know, and, and, and comparing to some other religions, like this is a pretty low demand that he has for these folks. Probably take them a half an hour to go up to the temple in the morning, half an hour in the evening, the rest of the day is yours. So God gives you life, he gives you everything you have, gives you children, and all he asks for is a little time with you in the morning and in the evening. And that's it, right? So if you have a people of God that are all doing this, you have a people of God that walk around their days as forgiven, humble, and spirit-filled people. And that's kind of what God wants in exchange for everything. That you have. So one way to look at devotion as a concept is that it's a have to. This is something we have to do. That's called legalism. And a lot of religions have that. Another way to look at devotion is a get to. And that's devotion. And when you get to do something, it's different than when you have to do something. So if religion ever becomes a have to, or actually religion usually becomes a have to, then you have to think about faith as something that's a get to. And the reward of what you get from it is something that God promises, but you don't see it before you do it. This is the hardest thing with new believers. Devote yourself daily and God starts to work in your life. And it doesn't work with firecrackers and, and, and flags, right? He works by just, you slowly start to see that God's changing your heart. And you wake up in the morning and realize you're a different person than you were a year ago. It happens very slowly. It happens extremely gracefully. God loves this kind of repentance, um, and it's the kind of zeal that we saw in Phineas and Zelophad's daughters. So we just got done with those stories. So this is where daily devotions comes from. I think that's kind of cool. Is the first place uh, other than Exodus where you really see God coming back and saying, I want your morning and evening devotions. I want you to spend time with me every day. Psalms 88:13. but to you I've cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. So they were still doing this when they were writing the Psalms. Psalm 141, verse 2, let my prayer be set before you as incense, lifting up my hands as the evening sacrifice. More than anything in life, we have to give up a little bit of our time for the Lord. And is your life going to be about your purposes? Is that how you start your day with your to-do list? Or is your life going to be about his purposes for you? And do you start your day with devotion? And it's kind of one of the, I know it's a simple point, but Steph keeps telling me sometimes I can dwell on simple points so we can absorb them because it's a big one. Is it your time or is it his time when you start your day? And when, you're, when you end your day, happy wife, happy life. So frankly, I could be done with the study tonight. Like I could just sit on those verses, but then Zach would be mad that I didn't finish the chapter. <laughs> but sometimes when you're reading the Bible, you just get to a point where you're like, okay, I want to just do that. Let me start with that. And I actually think that's how this chapter, these two chapters are designed. 
each individual in Israel is supposed to start with that. And if you're not doing that, nothing that comes after is relevant because you're not living in purity. You're living for yourself. And at that point, nothing else matters. So this idea that we do at evening and morning, at noon I will pray, I cry aloud, he shall hear my voice, Psalm 55. This is a key concept that goes through the rest of the Bible, that godly people devote themselves. So when you're saying, what should I do, Lord? And he says, how about some morning devotions? And if you're not willing to do those things, why would God use you in other things throughout the rest of your day? How about spending a little time in prayer before you go to bed at night? Thinking about atoning for sin, devotion to God, and life and spirit being given over to God because it's all his to start with. It takes five minutes or a half an hour. However, you know, I mean, it's not like God asks for a lot and there's no time stamp on this. Put that time in. I think what you'll find is if you do the five minutes, a month later, you'll start doing the 10 minutes. And then you start doing the half an hour. And then you're crazy and you're like, let's do a whole sermon right when we wake up in the morning every day. Right? Every week is the next passage. So daily devotions. Verse 9. And on the Sabbath day, two lambs in their first year without blemish, two tenths of an ephath of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with oil and its drink offering. This is the burnt offering for every Sabbath besides the regular burnt offering with its drink offering. If you want to note next to that, you can put Exodus 16. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Give them as Sabbaths. I think this is really neat. God gets them all set up. Here's a brand new generation. He says, here's what I want. I want morning and evening devotions. I want you to keep the Sabbath and make it holy. And then he goes on with the holidays. Like that, God wants us to enjoy it. The first one was individual. This command with Sabbath would be by probably by fam, multiple family groups getting together because they're going to gather together on the Sabbath. And I want to spend some time on this idea, but if you want to go back to Sabbath itself, go to Exodus 16. Devotion on the Sabbath is takes a little extra time. So it's not that they have more time on the Sabbath, they have less time on the Sabbath. Because if you're doing morning and evening devotions, this is on top of that or in addition to that. So you're actually spending extra time in the word. There's still a burnt offering, a grain offering, and a drink offering. Same set. You just double them. So you're going to do double, double time on these days. In other words, Sabbath isn't just about sleeping in late and playing some Fortnite. Sabbath actually is about spending a little more time with God and a little more time with God's people. And so in Christian tradition, we take Sundays and that's kind of a day where we do church. We spend about a half a day and we hang out and do that. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, holy, Exodus 20. So double time on the seventh day. Again, one way to look at it is, oh, the Lord's sure demanding a lot from us. Another way to look at it is, oh, we get to spend more time with God's people. And that's the day where we get to spend doing that. In the New Testament, this is backed up. And, and, I, and this is kind of one of those pieces. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And this is the key part of this verse, because it's your reasonable service. If God gives you your whole life, then it's actually reasonable to do these things. So if you're purifying daily and you've got a whole people are doing that, then when you gather together on Sabbath, it's actually a gathering of people that are being atoned for every day. It's God's people that hang out for Sabbath. People aren't committing themselves to individual devotion. Going to church isn't going to help their lives very much. Going to church maybe encourages and motivates people to start doing daily devotions, but it really should start at home. It should start with some authentic behavior on your own. Again, this is a get to, not a have to. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, Isaiah 58, and I'm in verse 13, doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call that call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and you shall honor him, not doing your own ways, not finding your own pleasures, nor speaking your own words. I think that's really convicting. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, Isaiah 58 still, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Which reminds me of the Mandalorian, right? He has spoken. If you do Sundays as your own free time, that's not what God's asking for. And it's not his devotion. Isaiah makes that really clear. If you do what he wants you to do on those days, he's going to make your feet to ride high on the hills of the earth. Isn't that amazing? What a blessing. What a gift. And then you sit in church and go, really, Lord, this is all you want me to do is sit here and listen to the Bible in the morning? And the, the answer from God is yes. I want you to sit there. Even if you have a bad pastor, right? 
as long as they're teaching the word, the point of that time is the fellowship and the community of believers, the community of saints coming together and being in community with each other. Um, highlight the image of when you fall in love with somebody. Honestly, we have some married people here. When you fall in love with somebody, you don't think, oh, how much time do I have to spend with them to build this relationship? You just don't. You think, how much time do I get to spend with them to build this relationship? In fact, how can I get rid of everything else in my life so all I'm doing is spending time with that person? That new love kind of feeling, that romance feeling right up front, it's amazing and really distracting. And God wants that relationship with us too. We're, the relationship with God is so beautiful, so loving, so amazing that we're distracted by it. And everything in our life turns strangely dim. It's just not as beautiful as our relationship with God. And our spouses are number two. That's pretty high up on the list still. God, spouse. We do things when we're in love that we're not required to do. And we do things that are extra when we're in love. We go above and beyond. And we sing silly songs outside of windows. And we write poems. And we, sing, we make up songs. And then the poems become songs that we sing outside of windows. This is what love looks like. And God loves the same thing. It's part of why he loved David so much. He's a shepherd that just sat out and wrote songs adoring God while he was out in the fields. And God said, that's the heart that I want. This is someone who loves me and adores me. So when you are in love, you rearrange everything else in your life to make room for that person. And then the prophets come along and say, but how come we don't do that for God? How come it's the first thing we skip? How come daily devotions kind of become sporadic? How come we start skipping Sabbaths? And we don't spend that time with the Lord. Maybe we're not in love with God. Maybe that relationship isn't there and we have to renew that love. Because what we don't want is a divorce, right? It's kind of like if you want to live your life as a drink offering poured out to the Lord and you only are there part of the time, it's like listening to a record that's skipping all the time. These images just kept coming to me all week. How do you hear the song if you miss every other beat? How do you see the trajectory in people's lives if you don't see them on a regular basis? I know this is starting to be like, be here for Bible study, but it's not like that. It's not a legalism thing. It's a love thing. Be here for Bible study because you want to hear the whole song. Be here for Bible study. Go to your churches on Sunday mornings because you want to see people's lives changing and be there for the whole thing and see it all. And you're not missing portions of it because the skipping record is almost more annoying than a record that's not playing at all which is why God says, either be hot or cold, don't be lukewarm, I'm going to spit those people out. Revelation, what chapter? Three. But I don't know if that's right. I'm just guessing. The point of devotion is, why would you want to miss a note when it comes to God? So if he asked you to do morning and evening devotions, why would you want to miss that? If you've been hard, if you've given your life to the Lord, why wouldn't you want that romance to get going right now? Why wouldn't you want to start that dance? Exodus 31, 16. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. This never stops. What gets done on the Sabbath? That's the question. What are we supposed to do? Because they keep saying Sabbath, but what are we supposed to do on these days? The Old Testament, the Sabbath gets defiled. By the time the Gospels show up, Jesus points out how legalistic the Sabbath has gotten, that it's not good what we see in the New Testament. And then in the books of Acts, we start to see a very different kind of Sabbath. And I think in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit pours out, Sabbath looks like it's supposed to look. And this is tricky because the church has cyclically forgotten Sabbath and then renewed itself through revival for the last 2,000 years. But here's what it's supposed to look like. Acts 13. The voice of the prophets are read every Sabbath. They sit and they read the word of God together. It's a weird thing to do if you think about it. Acts 15, verse 21. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. The good news gets told on the Sabbath. Um, Acts 13, 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. They begged for it. These are Christians. Could you come back next Sunday and keep teaching? Because if you have Paul as a guest speaker in your church, you beg Paul to come back and teach again next week, right? So you beg for that teaching of the word. They gather together to hear the word, Acts 13, 44. 
On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. What do you do on the Sabbath? You read the word of God. And that's what you do on the Sabbath. So you read it and you do it. You minister to one another. When you walk into a room on the Sabbath, Sunday morning, Bible study when you're here, and I love watching this. It's a huge blessing to me. When I watch after we get done, people just talking to each other and blessing one another. When we're eating dinner and we're hearing about each other's lives for the week, and you may have somebody who comes into the room and they're hurting and they're broken that week, and it's been a tough week, and then the person they happen to sit down that week has been had a wonderful week, well, you get to encourage it. You get to start focusing on the wonderful and putting aside the broken. And you get to just have a space where you can minister to one another and bless one another. So when you go to church, part of your job is to look around for people that may need encouragement or may need a friend or maybe it's just somebody to talk to or to shoot shop with on a, on a hobby, right? So those are the kinds of things. And you think, well, why is that so important? Because it's how God wired us and he made us to do that. People outside of fellowship miss it. People inside of fellowship either need it because they're, needing some growth, or they come into it because they enjoy blessing other people when they come into it, because they're feeling great that week. And the Christ says the body just works like that. You give and take. So he asks his people, this new generation going into the Holy Land, do your daily devotions, do Sabbath. And Sabbath looks something like this. You get together and actually read the Bible together. So God knows that does something. Each of these systems, God does more and more until Jesus ultimately does everything and all he wants is the part that's left that's human, which is our devotion. That's all he wants. So that's our reasonable service. Now we get to verse 11. It goes to months. So here's what you do every month. And so far, this isn't that bad, right? You give your life to the Lord and he just wants you to do daily devotions and go to church on Sundays. That's not that bad. And people look at the Old Testament and say how legalistic it is. The point of rules is because you have children that break them. And then you make a rule. If you have good kids, you don't make rules. And this is what God expects outside of all the rules, right? So don't murder people, but this is what I really want. So when you do start murdering people, now I got to make a rule. But what I want from you is your devotion. I want this sweet time with you, this sweet aroma every day. So verse 11, at the beginning of your month, you shall present a burnt offering to the Lord. There's the burnt two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephath of fine flour as a grain offering, mixed with oil for each bull, two-tenths of an ephath of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with oil for the one ram, one-tenth of flour mixed with oil. So this is a cookbook at this point, as a grain offering for each lamb and a burnt offering of sweet aroma. God likes how this smells. An offering made by fire to the Lord. The drink offering shall be half a hint of wine for a bull, one-third of a hen for a ram, one-fourth of a hen for a lamb. And this is the burnt offering of each month throughout the months of the year. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering to the Lord shall be offered besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. So months for the Jewish people, remember, were lunar. So they would look in the sky, see the moon, and when the moon started new, that was time to start the month and they would have this kind of feast. So however often the new moon would come, and that's why we have different calendars. The new moon festivals, if you want to do a Bible study on this, you need to look for the eating and the feasting that happens during these new moons. And here it's a good thing that God wants, some sort of larger gathering that would be more like the whole city getting together for a party, like the whole of the Twin Cities getting together for a concert, right? Once a month, we should be doing these massive events, which helps you to see that the sanctified people are not small in number. They're big in number. And you get to see how massive the movement is when you do those events. But you don't see that at a Sunday night Bible study. You see that up at City on a Hill in Duluth or, you know, uh, I don't know, whatever else they have, you know. Prayer thing in the Excel. I can't remember the name of it that they had. 1 Samuel 20, verse 5, Isaiah 1, 14. These new moon festivals just become giant parties. They don't have the golden calf, but they get corrupted and they become nasty. God wanted the party. He didn't want the nasty, right? So when we see these later in the Bible and they get corrupted and misused, the original intent here is they look a little like church. But if church is boring and then you have a party on the end of the month, people start to separate those things. The point is church should be exciting and the thing at the month should be exciting too. There should be a renewal that happens at these kinds of things. So in verse 11, there's a burnt offering. There's bulls, rams, and lambs. Verses 12 through 13, you see green, green, green. And verse 14, you see drink. 
This assumes that people are doing daily devotions. It assumes people are in their Sabbaths. So there won't be a bunch of nasty because you got a bunch of sanctified people. And sanctified people don't do all the nasty stuff, right? But that's going to happen later on. It's mentioned in Numbers 10.10. It says, also in the day of your gladness and in your solemn days and in the beginnings of your months, you shall blow with the trumpets over your burnt offering. You're supposed to have a concert while you cook the barbecue, right? That's the good stuff that's supposed to be here. And over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, that they may be to you a memorial before God. The second purpose of the monthly events is they're supposed to be a memorial. They're supposed to remember what God's done. So when people say, what's God been doing in our lives? On a monthly basis, you get to hear these testimonies and stories that are going on. The congregation of God gets to hear from each other. What's sad for me is I haven't seen this in my lifetime. I haven't really seen a church that does this. This is also why I love the fact that we roughly do something outside of Sunday night Bible study once a month. That's not necessarily reading the word together, but it is eating together or, or the, our version of trumpets, which is escape room, campfire, <laughs> cup and cone runs. That stuff is just for fun without all the nasty. It's just fellowship and time to be together. And that's what these monthly festivals were supposed to be all about. Just a time to party, but you're not doing all the study, right? You can put the notebooks away and just have fun with each other. And that's healthy too. It's part of what feeds our soul. So you're supposed to remember God when you're doing that. Remember what he's done. Share the testimonies. Blow the trumpets. Today that would probably be an electric guitar, right? It's supposed to be noisy and rowdy and fun. If you don't think that sounds exciting, I question why you want to be a believer because this is what heaven's going to look like. We read the word together. We blow trumpets together or some sort of electric version of that. And we hang out together and fellowship together for all of eternity. And if that doesn't sound like the coolest thing in the world, then you got to check your heart or maybe start doing your daily devotions because that time is what's pretty amazing. Verse 15, there's an additional offering here. Notice that there's a single kid goat that gets offered as a sin offering. And I think that's there so that once a month, the Jewish people are reminded that it only takes one offering to, to, to forgive sin. Only one right? The grain is a form of devotion. The atonement piece, you just pray and ask for it. Jesus is our atonement sacrifice. Jesus is our grain offering. That drink offering, the pouring out of life, he poured out his life for us so we could pour out our life for him. All taken care of with Jesus. The sin thing, also one sacrifice covers the whole planet. When it's an eternal sacrifice, it's big enough to do that. That's the theology. It's how God kind of set it up. So 12 times a year, take stock. Remember what's going on. Have a great feast. Notice the amounts of meat getting cooked is much larger at these monthly festivals. Feast, remember, reflect on your sin, worship and sing songs because you're forgiven. That sounds pretty awesome. Verse 16. Now we get holidays. They don't have Halloween, but they have other things. This, so we started with individual practice. Then we went to family practice. Then we went to multiple family practices. Now we're going to a national practice. Holidays are supposed to be for all of Israel. Everybody comes to Jerusalem. It's the whole country that celebrates this together. Kind of like we all celebrated COVID together, right? <laughs> Everybody in the country knows what's going on. It's what we do. It's our culture. It's who we are, right? So on the 14th day of the first month is the Passover of the Lord. And on the 15th day of this month, the feast. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. Well, that doesn't sound exciting. Crackers for seven days. On the first day, you shall have a holy convocation and you shall do no customary work. I like that. And you shall present an offering made by fire as a burnt offering to the Lord. Everything gets burnt up. Two young bulls, one ram, seven lambs in their first year. Be sure they are without blemish. Why is that so important? Because without blemish is going to be the standard by which Jesus is measured. Either Jesus was without sin and without blemish or he wasn't. So they're taught this through their festivals and through their holidays. That, that was an important piece. Verse 20, their grain offerings shall be the fine flour mixed with oil. Three-tenths of an ephath you shall offer for a bull. Two-tenths for a ram you shall offer one-tenth of an ephath for each of the seven lambs. Also one goat, a sin offering to make atonement for you. You shall offer these besides the burnt offering of the morning, which is a regular burnt offering. In this manner you shall offer the food of the offering made by the fire daily for seven days as a sweet aroma to the Lord. It shall be offered besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. And on the seventh day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. So 
few things to note. This is the point at which I'll note. I hope you've noticed there's lots of sevens and threes throughout all of this. This is complete. It's perfect. This is what God wants. It was, it's what God's ordained on its appointed days. So everything about this in the Jewish uh, language, remember the number seven when you read it in the Jewish is also means complete or perfect. So it would be, and on the perfect day, you shall have a holy convocation. It would be the same reading in the Hebrew. Um, so that's laced throughout here. There's tons of people that have lots of meaning in that. You can do whole studies on it. I'm not going to do that because I don't think that's what the point of this chapter is, though I have done that in the past. Second point here is notice that this is besides, in verse 24, besides the regular offerings. So again, you're going to do even more on these holidays than you were doing on your day-to-day. This doesn't preclude, and I think that's an important spiritual message, doing the holiday does not mean that you don't have to do the daily devotions and the Sabbaths. That this, is a, this builds on top of each other, and this is in addition to those things. So in addition to the daily devotions, the Sabbaths, uh, those monthly festivals, you're going to do this other one on the 14th day, and on the seventh day, you're going to do this. This is so they can teach their kids, because the holidays represent an event that God wants every kid to know that Israel exists because he brought them out of, out of Egypt and saved them with the Passover as he killed a bunch of Egypt people. Make sense? Okay. Um, also on the day of the first fruits, this is harvest. This would be their Thanksgiving fall festival. When you bring a new grain offering to the Lord at your feast of weeks, Pentecost, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. You shall present a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, and seven of the lambs in their first year with their grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephath for each bull, two-tenths for one ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Also, one kid of the goats to make atonement for you. So same thing we saw in the monthly festivals. There's going to be one animal that represents the sin sacrifice. So not all these tons and tons of animals. So... If you want to look these up, you can go to Leviticus 23. And there's a whole teaching on the symbolism, symbolism behind these, what they mean, what they're representing, how they point to Jesus. It's really cool stuff. And Trevor should have just taught this to you with the fall festivals. All right. Verse 26. Also on the day of the first fruits, when you bring a new grain offering to the Lord at your feast of weeks. Oh, I already read this. Each feast then has this element of atonement to it, but the monthly feasts and the annual holidays have a sin sacrifice added to them. So the sin thing isn't something we're supposed to dwell on every day. And I feel like there's Christians that do that sometimes. Every day they're feeling like they're just beating themselves up over where they're at in life. And I don't know that that's what God wants for you to do. I think God wants you to come and do that daily devotion with them, and he's going to change your heart so your heart doesn't want to sin anymore. And that happens in that kind of day-by-day time in the Word. And I know a lot of young believers that just beat themselves up because there's this sin they're trying to get rid of. Well, that's the problem. If you're trying to get rid of it, then it's a works-based theology. If God changes your heart and you don't want the stuff anymore, that means God's doing something in your heart. Very, very different approach to how we deal with sin and what we do. And I think that this points to some of that, um, that the sin offerings that once a month, and, and you should still repent of your sin and deal with it, but maybe not every day, right? Let's try to just do day by day with God as we do it. So that one kid atones, I just think that's such a great image. Verse 31, be sure they are without blemish. You shall present them with their drink offerings besides the regular burnt offering with its grain offering. So we got a review of the book of Leviticus again. What does God want as as people? He wants their devotion. This is the word that Joshua is going to shepherd with. So Joshua gets anointed. God tells Moses to tell Joshua and the people this thing we just read. Right? New leader, here's all I want, Joshua. Just teach the people to do this every day. You start life with that atonement. You're grateful for what God's given. There's a humility with the grain offerings. Lord, just take it all. It's all yours anyways. There's this community aspect to it. You're gathering with the saints. You're hanging out with other believers. There's this worship piece to it with the trumpets. Right? All of this builds up to a life with God. And you think, well, really, God, that's all you want? Because that's so human. It's so mundane. And God's kind of like, if you do these things, watch what I do in your life. And these are the things that we skip as Christians. And then we don't represent God because we're not talking to God. We're not in love with God, but we just call ourselves Christian by title, but we don't do the devotional piece. We're really not walking with God. 
and we don't represent God very well, and God's not doing a lot in our life. And you get through these periods that are kind of doldrums. And doldrums are usually fixed with, how are your morning and evening devotions? Well, I've been skipping those. Well, do that very human mundane thing and stop skipping them. You know, how's your community? Are you getting fed from the people you hang out with? Well, no, I've, I've been skipping church. Well, maybe that's why you're in the doldrums. Get, get your butt back in church and figure it out, right? So when you wake up on a Sunday morning and there's something else on your calendar, cancel it and say, I'm in love. I got to go see my, bra- my, my groom, right? And God, Jesus even calls us his bride, right? So if you're excited about that marriage that's coming, go on a date every week. Once a week's not a big deal. Phone call every morning and night and talk to God and have that conversation with God. And you do those things and then maybe once a month you can have a party with you know double dating with other people and you do something bigger. And then twice a year you're going to have holidays and that's where you show off the new babies, all that kind of thing. The Lord wants to live life with us. And that metaphor is one that God used when he was here. I want you to be my bride. I want that love affair with you. It's a beautiful thing when you think about it. It's just hard for to, you know, to do it, right? Morning and evening, read God's word. Sabbath, listen to God's word. Monthly, be counseled by God's word. And then on these festivals, we're going to do God's word because God says to do it. Do you see the centrality of the word of God to God's walk with for believers and what he wants? Even in the Old Testament. This isn't even New Testament stuff. This is what he wants from his people. And his people are going to screw this up. So therefore we need Jesus. Because no matter what God sets up and how God easy God makes it for his people, they keep screwing it up. And even today, Jesus came and made it so easy. You just say a prayer wherever you're at, anytime, and we still screw it up. So it's not that there's more people going to heaven now than there were under the Mosaic Covenant. It's not that the laws changed now versus then. It's the same thing. Numbers chapter 29, it just continues. Leviticus 23 is where you can find the Feast of Trumpets. That's the first one. And in the seventh month, in the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. For you, it's a day of blowing trumpets. You're going to play music all day. Worship festival in a barn with little lights. We're just going to get together and we're going to do music all day. If that sounds awesome to you, you're probably someone who likes the Lord. If that sounds really boring to you, you're probably the sound guy, right? (laughs) But you're going to get together with people. You're going to make music all day. What a holiday. You shall offer a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord. That one gets burnt up. Young bull, ram, seven lambs in their first year without blemish. Then a grain offering shall be fine flour mixed with oil. Three-tenths of an ephah for a bull, two-tenths for a ram, one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Also, one kid of the goats is a sin offering to make atonement for you. Besides the burnt offering with its grain offering for the new moon, so this is not, this is not escaping from the new moon. This is in addition to it. A regular burnt offering with its grain offering and their drink offerings according to their ordinance as a sweet aroma and offering made by the Lord. The Lord loves to hear music. Do it. Next Next verse seven, on the 10th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. This one's also in Leviticus 23. You shall afflict your souls. This is not the fun holiday. This is their kind of Halloween. You shall not do any work and you shall present a burnt offering to the Lord as a sweet aroma. One young bull, one ram and seven lambs in the first year. Be sure they're without blemish. Their grain offering should be a fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for a bull, two-tenths for one ram, one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Also, one kid of the goats is a sin offering. Besides the sin offering for atonement, the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and the drink offerings. This does not make it so you don't, have, you don't get to do the other things. You do those things and you do this. The afflicting of the souls in verse 7 is to recognize your own sin and your own depravity. And as a human being, we just keep failing. One day a year, we get to wallow. And I think this is important. We live in a country right now where a lot of Christians wallow in their sin and in their history and in their past and all the broken things that happen to humans because it's a broken world. You get one day a year to afflict your soul. And then you're going to feast with everybody. You're going to come back together. You're going to move forward into the next year. And you're going to just keep going. So this is not a happy day. On the other hand, We have Christians that never think about their sin. They never think about how they've failed the Lord. And that's not good either. You should take a day and think about it and reflect on it and meditate on it. One day a year is not such a bad dose of that, right? So then you get the Feast of Tabernacles, also in Leviticus 23. Um, 
Oh my goodness, this thing's a beast. I'm going to read through it all. Get ready. Again, this is like reading a cookbook. Sorry about that. But it's a cookbook for devotion. On the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. You shall keep a feast to the Lord for seven days. I like that part. This is like Thanksgiving times seven. You're going to eat till you can't eat no more. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering made by fire as a sweet aroma to the Lord. Thirteen young bulls, two rams, fourteen lambs in the first year. They are without blemish. Their grain offerings shall be a fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephath for each of the thirteen bulls, two-tenths for each of the two rams, one-tenth for each of the fourteen lambs. Also, one kid of the goat offerings is a sin offering. A regular burnt offering is a grain offering and it's drink offering. <gasps> this is where I'm really tempted to say, let's just skip down to here. But I can't do it. I, f I just want to read every word. On the second day, present 12. Okay, notice this. On the first day, you do 13 bulls. On the second day, you present 12 bulls. If you go down to verse 20, on the third day, you present 11 bulls. You see the pattern? All right. But they're not going to count all the way down to one, which I was a little disappointed in. On the second day, present 12 young bulls, two rams, 14 lambs in their first year without blemish. And their grain offering, their drink offerings for the bulls, the rams, the lambs, by their number according to their ordinance, verse 19. Also, one kid of the goats is a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and their drink offerings. This is a mathematical picture of number of bulls and what you could probably draw this out and it would be beautiful. Reading it, however, verse 20, on the third day, present 11 bulls, two rams, 14 lambs in their first year without blemish and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance. Also, one goat is a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering and its grain offering and its drink offering. It's repetitive, but probably because God wanted them to do it right. On the fourth day, present 10 bulls, two rams, 14 lambs of the first year without blemish, and their grain offering and their drink offering, the bulls for the rams, for the lambs, by their number, according to the ordinance. Also, one of the kid goats is a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. On the fifth day of tabernacles my darling gave to me <laughs> on the fifth day present nine bulls two rams 14 lambs in their first year without blemish and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls for the rams for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance also one goat as a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering and its grain offering and its drink offering on the sixth day present eight bulls thanks hon two rams, 14 lambs in their first year without blemish, and their grain offering and their drink offering for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance. And one goat as a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. On the seventh day, present... Seven. <laughs> Convergence. Seventh day, seven bulls. Perfect, perfect. Right? And this stops the countdown. Two rams, 14 lambs in their first year without blemish. 77214, which is also 77. Everything's balanced. If you think God's a God of chaos, you're nuts. God likes things in order and he doesn't like to tell us why. So it feels like it's wild, but it's actually perfectly God's plan. It's how God wants it. There's a thought coming out of all this. What verse am I on? 35. Are you skipping me? And their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance. Also one goat is a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering and its drink offering. On the eighth day you shall have a sacred assembly. Boom, we're going to come together. You shall do no work. You shall present a burnt offering and an offering made by fire as a sweet aroma to the Lord. One bull, one ram, seven lambs in their first year without blemish. And their grain offering and their drink offering for the bulls, for the ram, for the lamb, by their number, according to the ordinance. Also one goat is a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering and its drink offering. I think when we get to heaven, this countdown, if you take years and months and all the weird Jewish stuff, it comes down to where you only need one offering of one kind at the very end. All of it's a reductionary piece showing the Jewish people that there is a reductionary process. And at the end of the day, he doesn't need all this stuff. It's not like God's eating this. God doesn't need the offerings. He wants us to see what the offerings mean. 
And it, that reductionary path comes down to, to think a single sacrifice, right? And so we see that happening here every year. They're going to have this kind of festival where they remember that. A sacred assembly. This is an extravagant number of sacrifice and feasts that happen at this particular celebration. It relies upon God providing for them because at this point they're wandering through the wilderness, right? So upon the command that God gives this, he's assuming that they're going to have amazing prosperity when they come into the land. To this number, if you add all of this up, daily sacrifices, weekly sacrifices, monthly sacrifices, and then these holidays, it's 1,086 lambs. That's an entire herd. It's 113 bulls and 32 rams and a ton, not a, not a, a, a sloppy word, it's a ton of flour. Does that make sense? An actual ton of flour. Yes, thank you. And a thousand pints of oil. This is by far and away the only thing that could provide all of this is a wealthy and prosperous Israel. This is not coming out of wilderness herds. So the most common by far and away is the lamb, and the lamb of God becomes the core sacrifice of all of God's people. And you only see that if you add it all up, because the lambs always come last, right? It's the bulls that come first, the powerful, big sacrifices. But the, one, the common one, the one that's given the most, is the lambs by far and away, by 800 sacrifices plus. So the most powerful sacrifices are one-tenth of what God's looking for. The lamb is what he's looking for. I think it's an important note. God claims the lamb as his own. By Jesus' time, with all the families and the expansion of Israel, it's believed that there were 255,000 lambs sacrificed per year at the temple when Jesus was born. About 1,086 for each of the family groups as noted by the census that we had here. So this is going to be large groups of people that have these sacrifices. So the priests would be killing lambs all day, every day, all the time. That's what you get when you go down to the temple is it smells like burnt lamb, which smells awfully good, precious. It's very tasty. So this relies on God's provision. None of this, all of this extravagant gifting that's happening in Israel, none of it forgives their sin. They're still sinners at the end of the day. All of this stuff doesn't do anything about eternal forgiveness for their sin. And that's how much they're spending. So the Christians, I, I think, are thinking, think of what we'll save with Jesus Christ. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Nothing we do and nothing that the Jewish people did was enough to get rid of sin. As much as they did, it wasn't enough. Only Jesus, upon a simple request, steps in and forgives our sin. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news is you do not have to give up a thousand sheep a year anymore. All you do is ask for forgiveness and God's ready to give it. Erases all shame, all hurt, all of those things just go away. God remembers uh, that this is there. So these are reminders before they go into God's promises. Everything we have is from God in the first place. And this is all we get to. You wouldn't even have the lambs to give. You wouldn't even have the prayer to offer if the Holy Spirit didn't put it on your heart to ask God to come into your life. So everything's done by God. Verse 39, these you shall present to the Lord at your appointed feasts. So seeing the word appointed, we should think of this as a bookend to the beginning of the last chapter. We're coming back around to that point. Besides your vowed offerings and your freewill offerings, as your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, your drink offerings and your peace offerings. So Moses told the children of Israel everything just as the Lord commanded Moses. The key here is this new generations at the edge of the Holy Land, just like they were at the beginning of the book of Numbers. Same situation. Moses actually tells them the exact same thing. Devotion. If you want to be in God's promises, do what God asks you to do and stop wandering in the wilderness or they're going to waste another 40 years. Daily, weekly, monthly, annual holidays, this is what we do. So life with God means carrying out this kind of reasonable service. And frankly, it's not a hard service at all. The only people that think this kind of service is hard is people who are not in fellowship. Because when we say we're going to the Dells next summer, and we have another few families that decide to do that, and that's an annual holiday for us as a group of believers, that's awesome. It's a lot of fun to do that. It's not a bad thing to go to the Dells. 
It's an awesome thing to go to the dog. But you talk to somebody who's not in a Bible study or not in a fellowship or not at a church, and you say, well, yeah, I go to the Dells with my Bible study every year. They'd be like, what kind of cult are you in? <laughs> it's not a cult. It's just living with the Lord. I do daily devotions, morning and evening. Well, isn't that legalistic? No, it's time with my loved God. It's cherished time that I just, it's just such a blessing to me. You go to Bible study on Sunday nights? No, I get to go to Bible study on Sunday nights. I don't know why, but listening to cookbooks in the book of Numbers does something to my soul. It just makes me at peace. And I don't know why. It's a peace that passes understanding. I don't get it. You do stuff monthly with these people? Well, yeah, I do because, you know, we're just planning an escape room and we're doing a campfire at Vygatsky's. Yeah, that's what we do. And it's awesome and it's fun. Do you want to come? Because all of these things are things you can invite people to. Everything really but the morning and evening devotions. Like That gets a little weird. But <laughs> everything else is stuff that's like, come be part of the family. Come do it. We have empty spots, literally. So it breaks my heart when so many people fall short of this kind of life. Breaks my heart. Working at Bethel, seeing hundreds of kids just lost and meandering in their faith, when this kind of faith is just waiting for them. And you think, oh, it's so easy and it's not that hard and it's such a blessing when you do it. But before you do it, it sounds like torture. And when you do it, it sounds like an absolute freedom and blessing. It's freedom in Christ to live in a way that actually feeds my soul. So what do we present to the Lord and how do we show true devotion? Do we even do these things? Can we keep up with the ancient Jews who screwed it up? And the answer is yes, Christians have been doing this for 2,000 years. Not a lot of them, but they're out there and they were in communities of people. And when groups of people get together and do this kind of devotion, it changes the world again and again and again through history. Or at the very least, it changes people's hearts. And it makes people different when they do this kind of devotion. And then the next chapter, we're going to talk about making vows to God. God, I will do this. But that's built on top of devotion. It's not something you do before devotion. You know, God, if you save me from this car accident, then I'll do this. No, this is after you're living in devotion. Then you say to God, God, I'm going to give you this other thing. Because at some point, even morning and evening is not enough. At some point, you get crazy and you quit your job because all you want to do is study the Bible. Right? And that's awesome. And God just says, let me just continue to bless you. And that's going to be amazing for you too. So, amen. All right. Dear Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that even a, a recipe book uh, for a calendar uh, can be a blessing to our hearts. Lord, may this word speak to us. May it sit in our hearts all week. Uh, Lord, shape us and mold us. Uh, Lord, we want to be devoted to you in the morning and in the evening, but there are people in this room right now that don't do that. Uh, and Lord, maybe they want to and they want to commit to it, but in our strength, Lord, we can't even get the strength to do that. So change your hearts. Help us to wake up tomorrow morning with a desire to spend some time with you and make that happen in our hearts so we can't even take credit for our own devotion. Uh, change your heart, Lord, that we want to be in church and we want to be at Bible study, Lord. I, I think that that's such a, a blessed way to live and just help us to just do it each week and to make room for it and to carve it out of our life with a hedge of protection that we guard it and we protect those times that are devoted to you. Lord, help us to have monthly activities and festivals. And Lord, they've just been naturally occurring because they're built on top of daily devotion and weekly Bible study. Uh, Lord, help us to just enjoy that time together. May your spirit tie us together as believers and brothers and sisters in Christ. We only get one life, Lord. So help us to just live it for you and pour it out to you as a drink offering. Help our time to be a grain offering and we just devote our time to you. And Lord, help our lives to be atoned for. And Lord, we just pray that you will be the sin offering in our life. And that we just remind ourselves of that every day, every week, every month, every year. Lord, help us to not live in shame. We get one day a year to afflict our souls and seven days to feast. Lord, help us to keep that in balance and to not beat ourselves up over our failings and our, our uh, things we've done wrong. But Lord, help us to wake up tomorrow morning and think, what do you have for us today, Lord? And we give you our whole lives so we can look for opportunities where you're at work Look for opportunities to invite people to come and sit at the table and be part of the feast. Lord, we know there's a point where they shut the doors of the wedding feast and we just pray that no one we know will be caught outside. Help everyone we know to get connected to a church, to a Bible study, to a small group. And may you just fill them with life. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you found this teaching helpful, insightful, you can support this podcast by sharing it with a friend. Screenshot it, tag it, post it on your social media.